Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Well, here we are with another episode of Stories to Keep You Up at Night. I'm Marco Palmieri, your host and curator of these stories. And here in the studio with me, once again, is the fabulous Christina Telesca. Hey, Marco. So how are you feeling? Get it? Oh, yeah. Thankfully, I feel well. <laughs> given um, the subject of today's story. Given the subject of today's story, uh, that's probably a good thing. But, you know, given the last couple of years uh, that we've both lived through and everyone listening to our show has lived through, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Yes. I mean, even before the pandemic, our healthcare system was Byzantine and confusing at best. And remains Byzantine and confusing <laughs> yes. at best. The dread of having to place that call to the your insurer, if you, if you have an insurer at all, if you have right. insurance at all, right? Which is what this story talks about. Yeah, I think that sets it up pretty well. So why don't we just dive right in? Faced with a challenging healthcare system, a former model's cancer diagnosis pushes her into a world of experimental back alley clinics. Brace yourself for Yellow Smoke, written by Nicole Givens-Kurtz and voiced by Shana Small. The doctor's certain. Roxy Williams adjusted her coat against the cold November wind. My Nana said a doctor without doubt is no doctor at all. He's an executioner. Kiran shook her head. Rope-thick braids spilled over her shoulders and her jacket's upturned collar. She popped gum as she and Roxy walked along the pathway to the public cargo craft stop. Overhead, Wattos, wind automobiles, airbound cargo crafts, and aerocycles raced about in elevated lanes too fast to be safe, with only luck keeping them from colliding. Grayish clouds turned the sky into smoke against the heavens. Vehicles whizzed about the network of highways that weaved through the quadrants, slick, metallic skyscrapers. The former law that forbade buildings taller than the Capitol had been vanquished here in the district. Roxy rolled her eyes as they came to a stop at the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue and F Street. After the Great War, most of the street names stayed on the ground. But as traffic lanes moved up, coordinates became standard for locations. 
Kill the theatrics, Kiran. My cancer's real, Roxy explained. With that, Roxy marched on ahead, a faint odor of perfume in her nostrils. What doctor wore perfume to see patients? Roxy plowed through the station's crowd until she reached the platform's edge. The waiting area resembled a zoo container. Sheer, hard plastic shields provided protection from the elements. Now inside, she waited amongst the other bodies. Outside, weary urban travelers froze in the cold winter sun. The district's station chased away the stiffness in her hands and the burning of her nose. Once Kiran caught up, she resumed the conversation. I'm not saying it ain't real, Rox, but that clinic processes people so fast. It's like they're hurting animals. Just because they give medical assistance for free don't make them violators. You say that as if their actions are forgivable. They don't give you but a two-second once-over and then crap out an answer. It ain't right, Kiran huffed. Just my op. Roxy shrugged. Maybe they did. Kiran always had a lot of ops, opinions. Which of your mom's ops are you giving when you say that? Roxy asked. Kiran frowned. Neither. My moms adore you. The moms just don't like that clinic. They huddled against the cold like male penguins used to, down in Antarctica. Let's sit. Cargo won't be here for at least 10 minutes. My feet hurt. Roxy slipped through the throng and snatched an available seat on one of the benches. The clock ticked down the time until the next craft's arrival. Beside her, Kiran adjusted her satchel but didn't sit. The doctor was pretty sure, breast cancer. Roxy met Kiran's hard but very confused gaze. What stage? Kiran asked. It does come in stages. Stages, like a play or theater. Shakespeare said all the world's a stage. Roxy's world had been rocked by the diagnosis. At this point, she didn't want to perform as if everything was okay. Not anymore. Roxy nodded, too stunned by Kiran's comment to reply. Instead, she watched the masses traveling through the district's public cargo system. She always found it funny that refitted cargo crafts were used for public transport, because they used to haul food, supplies, and other large manufactured items. Now they hauled people, like cattle. The craft is arriving. The craft is arriving. The station system announced in a metallic voice. People shuffled on board the craft. Roxy and Kieran climbed on with the others, elbowing for personal space. Roxy pressed her thumb onto the screen to pay. Others swept their wrists over the currency counter. The craft rose into the elevated lanes and lunged forward through the air, rocking Roxy into Kieran. You know, you spend so much money on refining them, Roxy lamented as she gestured to her bosom. Now they're going to kill me. Killer boobies. Kieran whispered into her ear with a chuckle. Roxy cast her a dark look, but the bubbling itch overcame her. She started laughing. You said boobies like a dirty old man. It felt good to finally laugh, as they once did as kids. When they were younger, they had great fun running around the streets, watching the Wattos race, and avoiding Akbak addicts. The wind swept by them and stole their joy. Roxy shuddered. You must be freezing. Kiran offered her a scarf. Only on the inside. 
In fact, Roxy couldn't feel anything. The doctor's diagnosis was like an internal dousing of icy water. She could move, think, and talk, but she couldn't feel. Kiran hugged her close and kissed her forehead. We'll fight this together, don't worry. Roxy shrugged her off, unable to put into words the inadequacy of Kiran's pledge. Cancer didn't care about best friends, girlfriends, or families. We keep ourselves to ourselves. Roxy looked away and faced the advertisement flickering on the billboard above the yellow beams outlined for the crafts. The deep, defeated look in your eyes, and probably in your heart, bothers me the most. Kiran released her and shoved her hands into her coat pockets. Gloom loomed along Roxy's features. She could feel the darkness lurking. Her mind turned to her past. As a former model, she'd reworked her image to sell whatever the consumer wanted. She'd spent her early years building her body the way a mechanic repaired his Watto. Revised, polished, perfected. Currency didn't come easy in the territories, like the district, especially in the economically depressed sectors. Most of the media that proclaimed her sector depressed had no idea how deep the despair or the desperation went. It seeped into mama's milk, and every baby suckled on sorrow and suffering, childhoods drenched in hustling and hurting. So Roxy used the only commodity she had, her looks. If you dream too much, you forget the sun. She never had to sleep with anyone to get modeling jobs, but her agent and her mama pushed augments. Hell, the industry peddled exotics. Her African foremothers gave her gorgeous skin and dangerous cheekbones, but the rest, well, she had replaced. Hair, nails, abs, and breasts. Her breasts brokered her the better, more lucrative contracts. Now the body she adored plotted her slow, insidious death. I could just go home, eat a nice warm bowl of soup, and insert the IV of Akbak. That could ferry me to permanent sleep. Nice, easy, no mess. Yes, that would work. End it before she lost all hair, her body withered down to bones and skin, before she lost control of her bodily functions, die with dignity, make a good-looking corpse. Beside her, Kiran placed her head on her shoulder. Although she didn't show it, Roxy loved Kiran's can-do spirit. As kids, Kiran's parents were house-rich but currency-poor. They lived in a neighboring sector, in a somewhat nicer home, but they had very little. Still, Kiran's devotion helped Roxy survive the industry's grinding nature. Advertisers' taste in dark-skinned women waned when the modeling agency spat Roxy out at age 20. Kiran was there five years ago, just like now. Big Mike's downtown jazz club held all the charm of a restaurant, bar, and nightclub. Big Mike's was known for pasta and jazz performances. The place rocked, but not before five o'clock. On Tuesday, Big Mike's was strictly a restaurant. All around, people chowed down on pancakes, toast, and other breakfast foods not requiring dairy or pork. People drank steaming black coffee and a variety of freshly squeezed juices. Roxy looked at the empty stage and then back at Kiran with her heart sinking. She didn't feel like eating because it all came back up. Her eyes burned with fatigue and her muscles complained about the tossing and turning she'd endured the night before.
so she ordered tea. She and Kieran met each Tuesday morning to catch up. Nanos deliver certain chemicals to the cancer's cell surface. Then your amazing immune system takes over, Kieran said with glee, tapping her fingers on the table, her eyes locked on Roxy. That's the Baz Taylor treatment. Yes, I know about the Baz Taylor treatment. It's still stupid expensive. Roxy wrapped her hand around her mug. The warmth helped stave off the numbness that permeated all of her. The edges of Kieran's smile softened. Indulge me since you got so many ideas. She leaned back in the chair. Dark circles decorated her lower lids. Her braids had been secured in two ponytails, and her high cheekbones highlighted her mischief nature. When Kieran put on her thinking hat, the world and Roxy ended up amazed. Roxy sipped her black Earl Grey tea. The only known people who've received this cure are Governor Price's mama and others of the elite at Old Montgomery College. People who matter. Kieran nodded. You matter. But you're right. The wealthy elite get the best of everything. Nothing new there. Nothing to do but enjoy the exhaustion and aches I have until my final days. Weeks. Kieran countered. Years. They're not sure when I'll expire, except soon. Roxy raised her mug, and Kieran cheered with her own steamy cup. She drank hot chocolate with a shot of espresso, as if she needed any more encouragement. The false bravado waned in the wake. Silence swelled. Despite her best thoughts, Roxy couldn't think of how to gather that kind of currency she'd need for the Baz Taylor cure. If only I could get the currency for the Baz Taylor, you know? Roxy closed her tired eyes and sighed. Everything ached. Kieran nodded. Years. Look, there is a way to get the currency, but it's risky. Roxy didn't like the sound of it. I'm gonna die anyway. Kieran scooted closer to Roxy and lowered her voice. Mom's nose a guy. Your moms know a lot of men. Kieran shot her an ugly look. Ha ha, that's just because they work with a bunch of regulators. I spent all evening researching the dark corners of the internet for this info. I think my body passed out at three this morning. Whoa, oh, thank you, Kieran. But you said your moms, they do. After I asked them about the place, they told me with a warning that Warning about what? Frustration tittered on the edge of full-blown anger, but Roxy pushed it aside. Kieran, we're a long way from coat hangers and back alleys. Not really. Kieran sighed, her enthusiasm waning. I mean, yeah, but this Dr. Mays claims to have the treatment for less currency. The Anderson Clinic. Not that place again. You've heard of it already? Kieran asked. Roxy sighed. The clinic? Sure. How much? Kieran waved her off. Don't worry about that. She reached across the table and took Roxy's hands in hers. The real question, Chica, is are you up for it? Outside, the deep and crisp cold marched on. How many more mornings would she actually get to see? How many hot cups of Earl Grey? Kieran's question had sounded light and slightly bemused. 
the matter was anything but. The lower echelons of medical facilities held huge risks like poisonings, illegal experiments, and fast death. Do not go gentle into that good night, Roxy whispered into her tea. Huh? Kieran asked, letting Roxy's hands go. Dylan Thomas's famous poem. Remember Mr. Ingalls making us read it in high school? As a teen, the poem hit her hard. It resonated inside her breast even now, a literary mantra spoken in time to her heart's rhythm. No, no clue. Kieran's eyes shifted to the stage. It was my favorite. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Kieran signaled the waiter. Night? Night's a symbol for death. Get it? Oh, never mind. Roxy threw her hands up in mock annoyance. She replenished her mug from the tiny teapot on the table. Kieran looked back at her. So? I'm in. But you've got to promise no coat hangers. Roxy knew the seriousness of the plan, but she felt exhausted. The memory of Thomas's poem had relit a wick within her, a reminder about the value of not giving up. Still, the idea that she would have to go to the Anderson Clinic meant she may come out on a slab. What had she told Kieran? She was going to die anyway. Roxy sat up straight. Look, the Anderson Clinic is known for butchering people. Experiments, rumored and alleged. But I'm dying anyway, right? What do I have to lose? Roxy said. So, tomorrow then? Kiran asked and sipped her cocoa, trying to keep the anxiety out of her voice. Roxy could see her bouncing knee just outside the tabletop. Obviously, she didn't feel comfortable with any of this. Roxy didn't like it either, but when currency was short, so were the options. I've got work, so it would have to be Friday. Three days to get her mind right before going to the clinic. Great. Kiran blew out a sigh of relief. Roxy wished she felt the same way. Later in her apartment, Roxy recalled how, before the Great War, her grandmama talked about the age of plenty, health care for all, a united country, not the puzzle pieces and scrambles for power the governors did now. Far below her window, streetlights glowed against the velvety dark. She curled up beneath her blanket with Tom Tom, her cat, complaining about the movement. Clothes program. As she turned to the window and adjusted the warm bundle of Tom Tom, her telemonitor blared. Her uncle's face consumed the left screen. The right side identified him as Malcolm Moore. With her father locked away in the district's cradle and her mama vanished into the territory's seedy underbelly, Malcolm, her mama's brother, had taken an interest. He worked for the E! News violation section of the DC Mirror. He'd helped her get some jobs before helping himself to her currency. A finder's fee, he called it. Sighing, she answered the telemonitor. Hello? Malcolm's crystal brown eyes peeked out from a pile of arrow straight raven hair. A smile graced his lips, and that usually meant trouble. He was all cheekbones, coolness, and cleverness, or so he thought. Oh, baby girl, good evening. 
Roxy stroked Tom Tom, who rolled over onto his back to give her better access. I'm calling to check in. He placed a cigarette into his mouth. I know. How did the doctor's visit go? Roxy's heart skipped. For the better part of two hours, she'd almost forgotten. Dr. Will confirmed. What? His voice cracked. Roxy just sighed, unable to repeat it. Don't wear that face to my funeral. Malcolm mopped his face with his hand and regained his composure. If the situation hadn't been so sad, she would have laughed at her usually unflappable uncle. So, um, I guess the Baz Taylor treatment then. He adjusted his cable-knit sweater and repositioned himself. He dramatically tossed his shiny hair over his shoulders. Roxy snorted. He couldn't be serious. Sure, if you have the currency for it. Malcolm drummed his fingers along the counter. I'm not the man you think I am, Nisi. Few are. Roxy glanced down at Tom Tom. But you're super reliable, aren't you, Tom Tom? She kissed his fuzzy head and got an annoyed yowl in response. When she looked back at the telemonitor, Malcolm's face had returned to its usual polished on visage. The Anderson Clinic over on F for E Street offers it. So I hear. Rocks, go to the clinic. The Baz Taylor treatment can eradicate it. You can live. There won't be a funeral. Roxy glared at him. Currency counts, especially in healthcare. I wish I had it. He dropped his gaze. His performance almost seemed believable. Roxy shrugged. Sure. I'm really very sorry. Roxy terminated the telemonitor feed. There were only two things she hated, robots and liars. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. After work, Roxy arrived home with her body reeling and her feet barking. Once she fed Tom Tom, she set about unplugging her electronics, the telemonitor, the customized hologram program and speakers. Before long, the door announced she had a visitor. Who is it? Roxy asked, still dressed in her uniform. Terrence. Terrence lived two apartments down. When she opened the door, he paused, looming over her like an ancient oak tree. His brown limbs, long and weathered, waved in greeting. I saw your post about the telemonitor, hologram, and speakers. That's pretty much an entire entertainment system, right? Yeah, come on in. Roxy said, and moved to allow the tall man entry. Terrence ducked his head. Good price. You're getting them for a steal. 
Roxy gestured for him to follow her to the main room. And a piece of my heart. Her mother's gift, the telemonitor, and Kiran's gift, the hologram machine, meant a lot to her. Terrence took in the system and whistled low. You aren't lying. You sure you want to part with these? Roxy shuffled her feet. I, I'm sure. Not really. Her only certainty resided in the fact she needed currency. Terrence took out his tablet and with a few swipes of his finger, transferred the payment to her account. She watched on her cell phone as her balance increased. Thank you. Terrence nodded and busily disconnected the telemonitor and attachments. Ah, thank you. After he left, Roxy took in the empty apartment. She hadn't completely gutted it. Furniture, clothes, and books remained. All the things that could be sold had been. Their sacrifices accumulated in her bank account and shamed soul. Disbelief stained her vision. It had come down to this. The only technology remaining, her cell phone, dinged. Great. A reminder of her appointment at the plasma center in 15 minutes. Roxy pulled on her coat and scarf, grabbed her wallet, and headed out into the twilight. Time to sell more of herself. Friday came too fast. Roxy sat in her bed with the alarm blaring, and Tom Tom pulled in her lap. Covers carved out a pocket of warmth around the cat. The gray, cold morning held hints of more icy rain, but the weeping welled inside of her, not from clouds. She would not go gently. When she climbed out of the bed, she realized that everything seemed brilliant, vivid, more colorful. Could this be her last day on Earth? Is that the way it felt to everyone? Was her brain illuminating everything to log in her memory? She showered. Suds slipped down to the drain, like people who slogged through the bottom rafters of life, working, fending for resources, and then fading into some dark abyss, forgotten. Somber thoughts for somber action. This Dr. Mays claimed he'd heal her with his version of Baz. Still, she wondered if the cheaper version was the same generic brand, but with watered-down effectiveness. Black market didn't come with a guarantee. One could dream. The internet's back channel lit up one night about the real cost of healthcare, how the poor paved the way for real medical research, how they were given experimental treatments, all Tuskegee-like, when all they wanted was to be free of pain, of disease, and of death. What they often got was much worse than what they walked in the door with. Now I'm one of those, Tom Tom, among the medical lottery, Roxy said with weariness blanketing her. Still, she wanted to live, and to do so, she had to push on. Rage against the dying of the light. She towed off quickly in the chilly air. Tom Tom meowed. She bent down and kissed him. I will be back, promise. The real fear of not dying, but coming back not whole, took root. What if her cancer had been cured, but the doctor nicked an artery? or the nanos altered her DNA. The door rang and she snatched on her boots. Coming! Roxy found Kiron bundled in her favorite coat, but dressed in sophisticated clothes for the weather. The red scarf highlighted her hair's cinnamon streaks. I'm not going to ask if you're ready. I'm sure you're not. 
Kiran said. Roxy put on her coat. As I'll ever be. Her stomach nodded as she patted Tom Tom and they left. Beside her, Kiran remained uncharacteristically quiet. They took the elevator down, and once the metallic doors hissed open, stepped out on the sidewalk. A wind whipped through the morning, forcing them to walk closer together as a human barrier. The more it blew, the colder Roxy became. How much of her shivering came from the weather, and how much came from the fear gnawing at the base of her heart, right beside her cancer, she imagined. She didn't know. Kiran threaded her arm around Roxy's and pulled her close. Let's get this done. We have passes to the Basin's Big Bash tomorrow. Roxy quirked an eyebrow. Tomorrow? Key, I won't be recovered by then. Kiran grinned. Well, at least you won't be dead. All too soon, they arrived at the Anderson Clinic. The flickering neon sign of the former pizza place next door seemed on the edge of fading, but blinked as if sending a frantic coded message before falling dark for good. The automatic doors yawned open as the odor bowled her over. Despite its outward appearance, inside the clinic, state-of-the-art technology and holographic informational doctors illuminated one corner and gave medical advice. The tile flooring was a warm mixture of ivory and black, and the walls held naturalistic art that changed every few minutes. The people in the lobby didn't stir as they entered. Roxy's heart pinched at the despair and outright desperation weighing on them. Against the polished, professional, and gleaming clinic interior, the people within it, the sick, the injured, and the dying, were like faded flowers in a crystal vase. The clinic had the reputation for using people as guinea pigs, primarily by people hurt by their experiments, all in the name of scientific research, allegedly. Oh, Kiran said and covered her nose. It smells like bleach and ammonia had kids in here and then took them to the forest. Roxy chuckled. The clinic smelled like most hospitals, except for the air fresher. In the center of the two automated glass doors, Roxy could move. Now, now's the time. The automated voice complained. The door is ajar. The door is ajar. No, I can't do this. Roxy spun on her heel and turned to go back down the stairs. Kiran stepped forward and grabbed her arm. Come on, we're here. They walked in. Roxy couldn't promise she wouldn't walk out. She'd leave in a floating black corpse canister. They'd haul it down to the morgue and shove her into the insinuator. Those canisters were designed to burn, hot. Radiation tablets look real good right now, Roxy whispered. They probably smell better too, Kiran said. What's your name? A bear of a woman inquired without looking over her screen. A wheezing rattled at the end of her words, and a sheen of sweat covered her face, making her makeup look wet. Williams, Roxy. Roxy shoved her hands into her pockets, too scared the woman would see her hands shaking. The woman's lips moved as she read, Ah, okay, Taylor treatment. She shifted her bulk a little and gave Roxy the once-over. You've come to the right place. Can we get this over with? Kiran said. The woman squinted again at Kiran, but picked up her bright and shiny scanner. Payment? 
Kiran thrust out her wrist. Just take the damn currency. The woman grinned as if it pained her and ran the scanner over Kiran's arm. There's still a balance, the massive woman said to Roxy, smiling with a broad, tacked-on grin. Ma'am. Roxy fought to breathe and took to slow sips of air. At this rate, she would pass out before reaching the exam room. She extended her arm to the receptionist. Roxy prayed it wouldn't cost her life. Have a seat, we'll call you back in a bit. Thanks. Roxy lowered her arm and let Kieran guide her to the windows closest to the back of the lobby. She turned Roxy to face her. Don't worry, this is going to go fine. Roxy held her gaze. This place, rage against the dying of the light. Do not go gently into that good night, Kieran recited. Roxy smiled. So you do remember it, Kieran nodded. So come on. I need you to rage against your fear, this place, the uncertainty. You did it. If it fails, or if somehow this makes the cancer accelerate, then we try the tablets and then surgery. We will rage until there is no more of us. Or your currency. Kiran laughed. I have moms. They're doing well right now, so. The tablets are like swallowing poison. The vomiting, the loss of hair. Roxy shook her head. I'd end up looking like a corpse anyway. Kiran hugged her. You'll be a gorgeous one, with or without hair. Though I prefer your locks and breathing. Roxy laid her head against Kiran's shoulder. It felt good to have someone who could reignite her spark. How could she have gone through any of this without Kiran? The looming unknown dark lay just behind the metallic doors that led to the examination rooms. She would rage against the dying of the light now that her own torch had been lit. Roxy Williams, the receptionist said, but didn't look away from her screen. Now? Kieran stood and shot Roxy a small smile. Roxy released a deep sigh. A calm settled upon her. She would not be afraid of the dark, for she had a beacon with which to illuminate the difficult path ahead. This is such a relatable story and so beautifully told. My earlier experience with the writing of Nicole Givens Kurtz is primarily her weird westerns, but this might be my favorite story yet from her. I love the way she deftly introduces us to her version of the future of Washington, D.C. You know, we have all the fun sci-fi bits, right? The wind automobiles, the Mm -hmm. aerocycles, flying cars. But then it's this deep dive into a very scary and... Mm -hmm possible, I want to say, underbelly of our own. It seems a little too possible. Yeah. some, And, you know, even though it's this, it's the future, it's sci-fi, some things never change. In this case, the healthcare system. And while it's very obviously about the crushing cost of healthcare and the sad desperation it can drive people to, it's also about how friendship can help us to endure the darkest and scariest times of our lives. Yes. How these two characters, Kieran and Rox, pass their strength back and forth to one another. Oh, that's so well put. Right? I love the way you said that. And the way Kiran will, abs- she just, she'll absorb, she'll reflect or ease Rox's pain yeah. depending on the situation. 
She's like the ultimate advocate. It's really beautifully rendered, Ugh. you know, and, and it's absolutely my favorite part of the story. Yeah. You know, it's so much fun to discuss these stories with you, Christina, <laughs> but we're out of time. So thanks, as always, for joining me. Anytime, Marco, you know stories are my jam. And if Stories to Keep You Up at Night is your kind of show, let us know with a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And join us for our next episode, when we'll follow a group of cowboys as they encounter the horrors of the deep desert. Until then, pleasant nightmares. You're listening to Stories to Keep You Up at Night, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Stories to Keep You Up at Night, Episode 60 features Yellow Smoke by Nicole Givens-Kurtz. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Alexis Latshaw and executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and Christina Teleska. Performed by Shayna Small. Audio produced by Tidef Studios. Additional editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kindle Thomas. Find more shows like Stories to Keep You Up at Night by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.